0: You're listening to the Short-Term Revolution Podcast. If you're a physician and want to generate meaningful side income, you're in the right place. Learn how to make real income from short-term rentals. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and let's catch up. Welcome to the Short-Term Revolution Podcast. And now your host a pediatric anesthesiologist, real estate investor, and now short-term rental host, Dr. Chia Gozi-Fawole. Well, hello there. Really excited for another episode of the Short-Term Revolution Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, I'm Chia Gozi-Fawole, pediatric anesthesiologist, real estate investor, and now short-term rental host. And I'm, I'm just excited to share with you the topic that I have which is funding your short-term rental. okay listen if we have not met then you probably not heard me say if you have a good short-term rental deal you could probably you can probably find it. I mean it's like a something that, that's that's often said in real estate spaces that when you actually learn different funding techniques, then you realize that if you're not able to take a deal down, It's usually not because you technically couldn't. It's usually because you you knew you had options, but chose not to explore them. I know when I say this, I'm probably going to be trampling on a couple of nerves, but that's okay. I can handle it. But I can tell you that when you fill your toolkit with strategies and techniques to fund deals, you begin to operate from a place of strength and even more awareness such that When you decide, you know what, I don't want to go down this route to fund a deal this way, you would know that your reason for not funding your deal was not because you couldn't or it was too expensive or whatever, but it was because, you know what, you said, nah, (laughs) not worth it. Nah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So let's get right into it. When I think about a short-term rental, a couple of things that come to mind about short-term rentals are that they're actually easier to fund, in my opinion, than traditional rentals, okay? I know that is a bold statement to make, but here, I'm here for it, okay? So first of all, why do I say this? Number one, the very, one very common way that people fund their short-term rental deals is with a second home loan, okay? Now, if you go to a bank and you tell them, oh, you know what, I wanna buy investment property, they will tell you that you need somewhere between 20 to 25% to put as your as down payment for your investment property. But if you're buying a second home, now here's the thing, when you call your short-term rental a second home, you are not telling a lie, okay? I do not condone or support anybody lying to anybody for lending purposes. But here's the thing, the lending organizations, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, actually allow you to rent out a second home that you own on the short term rental platforms the airbnb is the verbal so why on earth will you call it anything else than <laughs> a second home loan here's the thing if for some reason you say you know what absolutely i'm not going to spend any time there then please do not use this option but here's the thing if you don't mind spending a couple of nights in a property that you bought as a short term rental as a vacation home right then you the doors to ease your financing just opened up to you. And here's, here's another thing. I know I'm saying a lot of here's the things today, but I don't mind spending a couple of nights at the lake house, just saying. <laughs> I don't mind spending, when we signed our loan, the, the, the documents for our loan for the lake house that we got a few months ago, it said there that, oh, you know, you should spend at least 14, 14 days or whatever at the property. And I was like, eh, I can do that. <laughs> Handle 14 14 days at a property, mm, lakefront, nice and comfortable, spruced out with a hot tub. What's not to love? I mean, what is not to love? This is why I've actually begun to talk a lot more about short-term rentals because it's just so much fun. And you actually end up with properties that you enjoy, your family enjoys, your family members can come rent from you, your friends can come rent from you as against. You know, the B minus, C minus rental properties that some people may have bought in the past for the sake of cash flow. This is like cash flow plus life enjoyment put into one package. Okay. So, your first option there is that second home loan. And here is the thing with the second home loan, you can put down even as low as 10% for your down payment. Okay. When I heard the 10% option, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> So basically, you can buy two of these in place of one regular long term rental and cash flow significantly more. Am I still making an argument here? Okay. Now, here is the kicker. Recently, we actually found, I've actually found two different lenders that'll go as low as 5% down. Yep. 5% down on second home loan. You heard it on this podcast first. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. So now you can actually do a search and reach out to a number of of community banks around you. Ask them if they have portfolio loans that will do 5%. Now, they're not too many. They're not too many, but they're out there. They're out there. Okay. So that's your number one option. Second home loans, either 10 or 5% down as your down payment. Okay. Your number two option. So the thing about the second home loan is that it is a fully qualifying loan. So they'll look into your debt to income ratio. They'll look into your income. They'll look into all that stuff, credit scores, all of that. But there's another option now, which is called a DSCR loan. DSCR stands for debt service coverage ratio. Basically, it's a loan that is based on the income that a property is scheduled to produce. Okay. And previously, before I got into short-term rentals, I knew DSCR as a number. That's what was often thrown around in the multifamily space, where they basically looked at how much a property made, what the net operating income was, to basically show that with the amount that you will net from the property after you take down your major expenses, that you were able to cover the mortgage payment for that property. And in the multifamily space, it was basically, you had to you know, you had to have a lease. You had to have leases and everything, everything lined up. But what we've seen seeing is that in the short-term rental space, there are DSCR lenders who will go off the projected Airbnb short-term rental income for that property. And what I'm seeing is that a number of them will actually just want the revenue projected to match the potential mortgage payment, a one like one to one, which is very liberal if you may compared to what a lot of the long term the long term rental lenders would have done those guys would really have one at like 1.2 and above for your net operating income so again another reason that i say that it's easier to fund the short term rental than it is a long term rental okay so if you can find a lender that does dscr loans so dscr loans are often like i said asset based and in this in this case, if you find those that do DSCR loans for short-term rentals, they would request anything from fifteen to twenty percent down. You find you generally find them more in the twenty percent range. So really, just plan for twenty percent. And then you say, okay, well, we're back to twenty percent. Yes, you are back to twenty percent. But <laughs> but this time there is no, you know, they're not looking at, at your debt-to-income ratio and any of all that, you know, personal personal stuff that the regular home um, lenders will be looking for, okay? So now, if your question then becomes, okay, well, how how then do I find that 20% down to put down on a $500,000 home, which is sort of where, you know, a lot of of the markets are starting to um, tend towards, there are options, you know, create an LLC, get a bunch of people in there, do JVs, whatever it is, home equity lines of credits, your retirement account loans, there are so many options out there but at least now have, I'm I'm now giving you two different ways that you can fund a short-term rental purchase. All right, what is the third one? What is the third one? The third one is probably one of my favorites actually, is that if you can get, if it's a property that needs some work, you can actually go the fix and flip loan route, okay? So a lot of fix and flip lenders will do 90%. I I found quite a number these days, I don't know what the trend is, but they all seem to be doing 90% Loan to value on the purchase of the property that you want to renovate and 100% of the rehab costs. I actually have a lender that will do 100% of the purchase price, 100% of the rehab costs. And in fact, I probably even say two lenders at this point. Basically, I'm saying they're out there. Okay. There are lenders out there that will do 100% on purchase and rehab. Usually, the, the the fix and flip lenders will often charge you some kind of, of points, and one point is equal to. of the loan amount. So let's, if you're borrowing, let's say a hundred thousand, then you pay either. So one point of a hundred thousand will be $1,000. So if you're, if you're borrowing, say for hundred thousand dollars to fix up a place, then one point of that will be $4,000 as a fee upfront. So here's the thing. If you've done rehab, you're like, oh yeah, 1.2 points, no big deal. But if this, if this is new to you, you're you're, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, why in the world would I go take a loan that will charge me 1.2 points? Some places will even charge up to three points. Why would I even do that? It's simply the cost of doing business, okay? Simply the cost of doing business. If you have four hundred thousand dollars just sitting in a bank account, then absolutely ignore everything that I just said in the past minute or two. But if you're if you're working on actually building a portfolio, maybe starting out with 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 resources but limited resources, then I just gave you I just gave you the juice. <laughs> I just gave you the juice. Okay, so that means that you need to find a smoking hot deal, a deal that can actually let you build in these extra costs and still come out on top. So what do you do after you buy the property with this kind of a a loan? So these, the fix and flip loans are like hot potato loans, okay? You don't use them to hold the property. You use them to fix up the property and you quickly refinance. So generally when you're buying a property to use a fix and flip loan on, you want all your costs, everything to be somewhere around 75% of the eventual value, what we call the after repair value. The reason for that is that you will then then turn around and go refinance it with a regular mortgage. And those guys will normally give you 75% of the after repair value so you kind of work your way backwards. If the if the final guys will give you a loan that is seventy five percent of the after repair value, then you want to make sure that all your fix and flip expenses, everything that you do in there, all the renovations, everything plus the purchase price, everything is less than seventy five percent of of what the what it will eventually be worth. You're listening to the Short Term Revolution podcast with your host Chiagozi Fawole. So, what does this actually look like? You are searching Zillow or something, and then you notice that in the place where four bedroom houses, as a matter of fact, we have a deal like this in, in hand as I speak. So, actually, I might as well even, even just share that story. So, I looked at a particular market and I noticed that four bedroom homes cost somewhere, we're going for around $780,000, some of them even in the 800s. And then I'm looking and I come across a property that isn't looks cool. Okay, but you know, kind of on the edge right there. But it was going for five eighty nine, and I was like, "Yo, uh, sign me way up, sign me way up, put it under contract." We check the property, and it looks like it could it could probably use either a new deck or some some work on the deck, some work on the AC, but th- not nothing that you know is totally out of this world. So I, I run my numbers, and I'm like, "Okay, assuming my after repair value is like let's just call it eight, you know. 780 going, That's basically even 800, just call it 800. So 800,000 times 0.75 puts you, 800 times 0.75, that puts you around $600,000. So that means that by the time I purchase this property and rehab it, I wanna be somewhere around 600,000. Now for this particular deal, if I go over, if I end up leaving a little money in it when I'm done, I wouldn't, that that, that won't be the end of the world. But for rough planning purposes, I want to make sure that I'm somewhere around 600000 for purchase and rehab so that that way, when I'm done, I refinance, I take all my money out, and I can basically go out there and do it again, okay? That is why I love properties that need some work because it gives me an opportunity to build in. So first of all, if I'm all in for $600,000, by the time I'm done, I now have a property that is worth $800,000 right out of the gate. That means I'll have $200,000 of equity in a property with like just out of thin air, okay? If that is not a reason to love real estate, I don't know what is. I basically just built my net worth, okay? And raised my net worth by 200,000 by going with this method. I love it. This is why I love what I do. This is absolutely why I love what I do. And now however much money that I put in on the $600,000 end, I can now take that money out, go buy another property next door, and do the same process over and over again, okay? All right, so that was the fix and flip loan and then re- refinancing into a more permanent one. The next one that I'm gonna talk about is seller financing, okay? So this is basically when you have the seller finance a portion of the deal. And you're like, oh, hold up, Chair are you like smoking something right now? I'm like, no, I'm not if this is the first time that, 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 that you're hearing about this, welcome to our world. Because there are times when a seller's motivation for selling is not necessarily to cash out completely. Like they may be trying to ride the market. They may have, brought the pop, they may have bought the property. Let's say, for example, if we use the same example that I just gave, let's say they bought the property at you know $300,000 two years ago and things have like raced to the top, everything is skyrocketing. And they're like, hey, I want to cash out while this thing is still hot. And so they may sell they may not be ready for like a windfall of 200K in their bank account. They may just want to just like lock in that amount and lock in a monthly payment or whatever. So I saw a deal recently and I actually sent to my realtor. and I said, hey, ask the seller if they'll be open to to financing. I'm still waiting to hear back, but I basically made it my practice over the years now that whenever I'm looking to buy something, I ask the seller if they're open to financing. What is the benefit? Like, why would I want a seller to finance? Number one, I don't like banks. (laughs) Did I say that out loud on my podcast? I absolutely did. One of these days, I'm going to, you know what? I should probably change that statement. Okay, let me rephrase that. I'm not a fan of the documents that I need to submit when a bank is carrying out their underwriting. I don't know what it is. I just don't like putting together documents. I don't like sending pay stubs and tax returns and all that stuff, right? Like my husband actually is... Is better at it. Like he can do it in like ten minutes, and it just for me, it's just mentally draining. So whenever I can just tell somebody that, hey, listen, can we just like structure this deal this way? I prefer that quite a bit. We we bought a seven unit apartment complex a few years ago. It's now two years old at least, and the seller actually agreed to that. We put down a bit of a down payment, and we agreed to terms that were favorable to us and to him. The thing about seller financing is that you can basically structured the deal at the terms of the deal, however you like. In our case, for example, we did 20% down and we did an interest rate of 5% amortized over, I think it was 30. No, we did amortization of, I think 20 or 25, I forget now. And then we put a balloon for five years. So the goal was that in five years, we'll pay him off whatever, however we did it, either a refinance or a sale, but. What it did for us was that number one, we didn't have to go to a bank to qualify. We didn't have to do any of all that stuff. Now you say, but Cher Gose, you 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 got a five percent interest rate at a time when interest rates were much lower. Yeah, because I don't like underwriting with banks. <laughs> like, did I just say that a lot? I did again. Yeah. Also, five percent at the time for me was not even was wasn't even crazy or far fetched because commercial lending has always been you know the higher you know, because it, it was a seven units, right? So once you go past five units, it's no longer considered like a residential type thing. It's now called commercial. So the rates the rates for commercial had, had always been on the higher side. Prior deals we had bought before then were like between 4.69 and 5.7, even a few years ago. So five was not a bad rate. But basically with seller financing, you can bypass the banks and their rigors. And... <laughs> And then you make a decision, you know, what works for you, what works for the seller. You want to try to create wins in both ways and kind of see, kind of come to come to nice terms that actually work for the transaction. So this, these are ways that you can, you can get deals done even when you don't have everything perfect on paper. Does that make sense? Okay. So I've given you, this is now number four strategy that you can use to finance your deal. All right. Number five, partners or investors. Listen. If you have a friend who's willing to go in on a deal with you, let's say you're let's say you bought one property, you're you're tapping out with cash, but somehow another deal like popped in your lap and you're like, hey, you know what this deal is pretty good. You can go in on that deal with a friend, business partner, something to just to be able to to get the deal done. Now, there's some of you that may be like, you know, a couple of us who are like, ah, I like to kind of just like do my own thing, be personal whatever. Again, like I said at the, at the beginning of this by the time you see all your options, if you then choose not to do a particular deal, you would know that you did not go through all your options and it was by choice. So when we first got started investing in real estate, our very first our very first rental property, actually the very first deal that we did was a flip and that was a partnership. I partnered with my dad on that one. Our second deal, first rental, was... Also partnership, we partnered with five other, other, other people for that deal. And they basically had done all the down payment and everything. And we were able to, to participate on that deal and both in the deal itself. Well, we control the deal. So we definitely participated in it, but but also control the upside of it. And when we were done, I mean, it, it was experience in my, it was experience that I had, it was a deal that I had owned. I basically ran the, 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 management of the deal. So we, it was our deal. Okay but we also help these other investors participate in a deal that they probably otherwise not have even bothered with without our bringing it to them. So when you're going to work on partnerships with people, particularly as the deal sponsor, you're not begging for money. You're not begging for money. Did I say that again? You are not begging for money. You are creating opportunities for people who are either busy or just otherwise not inclined to do the deals by themselves. And there is nothing wrong with that. Okay. So that was strategy number five for funding your deal. Now keep in mind, if you're going to work with partners, then some loan types go out of the window. For example, you can't work with a partner on a second home loan because it's supposed to be like an owner-occupied type type loan. So that so, so you cannot use that deal. That's for that. But if but if you're going to work with partners, then other like you know the DSCR type loans come back on the table. The fixed and flip loans are available. That's if you want to use the the, the partnership for for like a down payment portion that is maybe more than you want to buy it off by yourself. Now, the last one is to ask yourself the question, do I even have to buy the property, <laughs> right? Because there is rental arbitrage. If rental arbitrage is, a, I mean, if, if you're thinking about doing dealing and you're like, you know what? I don't know if I still have any more cash left. I don't know if I want to spend all this cash on my next property. Then heck, you know, you can go find a landlord in the, you know, see if if, if you find a landlord that's willing to let you, you use a property as a short-term rental and you can turn it into a short-term rental by doing arbitrage. You, you sign a lease, you sign a lease on the property and then you offer it up on short-term rental market. Now, I don't say this to say that it's going to be easy to find a landlord. Okay. As a matter of fact, that's, you know, we have a, an entire program dedicated <laughs> to helping people get get a drive with, with with rental arbitrage. But it is out there. It's it's a thing. I had somebody post on a Facebook post recently so a client of mine was sharing on her Facebook wall that, you know, she got all these all these units last year and some of them were by rental arbitrage and that I had taught her how to do it. And somebody put in the comments there was like, oh, yeah, I heard you talk about this on some conference last year. But I thought basically she was like, I thought she was full of it. <laughs> like I thought it wouldn't work. Right. So this person basically stood by the side and now watched her friend do exactly what I had talked about during the conference. And she was now seeing the, the the impact of what, of what I had shown her. So yeah, rental arbitrage works. It actually works. Like I'm not just making this up. Like there's a whole community out there actually that wonders why anybody will buy a short term rental. Like when I saw it one day, I literally chuckled because I was like, a lot of physicians don't even realize that, that rental arbitrage is even a thing. And there's a whole community out there that's wondering why anybody will even buy, right? Like. Can't you just lease? <laughs> Why would you even buy the short-term rental? It's just really funny. Um, how our worlds are so are, are, are so different. But yeah, so I just basically gave you what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, six ways you can fund your next short-term rental acquisition. All right. Well, if you got some value from this and you enjoyed at least, or 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 even just had a little chuckle about anything that I said, you know, feel free to share with a friend. Hopefully, like yeah, subscribe to our, to the podcast, share with a friend. And if you want to learn how you can get started with short-term rentals, you can go to workwithme2021.com slash book. So workwithme2021.com slash book. All right. I hope you enjoyed any and all of this. I hope you actually implement based on strategies that I just shared with you. Yeah. Just go on there and have an amazing, 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 rich life. Take care.